Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be talking about myths and legends and uh, facts and uh, fancies, and uh, some fallacies as well. Uh, years ago, uh, decades ago probably now, I, I wrote uh, a book, Covenants of the Gods, and in it I, I told people there is no solution or answer in this book it's not wasn't written to give you the solution it was given to and it was given it was given away time and time again it's free online anytime anybody wants to read it and uh, it outlines in 15 basic chapters the contractual nature of government one of the early commandments one of the the if you put the commandments in a chronological order is thou shalt make no covenants with them nor with their gods goes on to expound in other parts of the bible with the inhabitants or with their gods so how do you make a covenant with a god and what is a god and of course we go into that in that book and in thy kingdom comes and and uh, the free church report and uh, and numerous other books because it's one of those words that we just don't understand Everybody's got a God somewhere. Even the atheist, someone who referred to an atheist uh, as a devout atheist. <laughs> and, and they believe in the God of their own intellect. Because that's what rules them. See, that's what God is. God is the ruling judge of your life. Who is the ruling judge of your life? Is it the God of heaven? Is it Allah? Is it uh, your own intellect? Uh, which is really the tree of knowledge? What is the ruling God of your life? Is it Jesus Christ? Is it the Supreme Court? Who decides what is good and evil for you? You see, and we talk about trinities. I mean, I don't know anybody who understands this thing they call the trinity. You know, Jesus is the Son of God, yet he's God, and yet he's in the Garden of Gethsemane talking to God. Asking God that this cup pass before him, but then he accepts the will of God, but he is God. I mean, it's 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 like listening to Vincini. It's a dizzying intellect. Now, I'm not saying there isn't some sort of concept we call Trinity. I'm just saying most people don't understand what it is. They don't understand what God is. They don't understand why... Jesus was called a God and why Augustus Caesar was called a God and why Paul says there are gods many and why Jesus says ye also are gods. What's he talking about? I mean, they're all using the same word, which is also translated judge and means judges, magistrates and courts of law. Do you ever make contracts with them? Well, of course you have. You make contracts with I mean, you've got a United States government. It's got three branches. So if you make a contract with one branch, aren't you making a contract with the other two branches as well? If you make a contract with the executive branch or a corporation of the executive branch, aren't you also making a contract with the Supreme Court? And what constitutes a contract? It's an agreement. You know, there's acceptance and performance. That's what makes a contract. You accept a benefit 
you have a contract. You've accepted the benefit, so you, it is assumed that you've accepted it on the terms that it was offered, and the terms that it was offered are published, so you're expected to know the terms of the offer. I mean, you're taking something that's not yours on what condition? If they're published, if you're taking it from a government, you should find out what the conditions of the offer are. If you don't, you're an immature, imbecilic person and need to be under the care of a government. Because <laughs> you didn't have the sense to read the contract. And so anyway, the book, Covenants of the Gods, talks about the, 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 this nature, uh, this contractual nature of government. But it also brings into light, in a very unusual writing style, or not common writing style, of quoting from prose and, and poetry and, and from the Bible and from the law and with very little, I mean, it's just full of quotes. And there is some of me in between those quotes. quotes. And that's trying to connect you with ideas so that you can begin to see the world in a different light. So that you can be see, so that you can see the world at all. And, and that's one of the reasons why it's written in that particular style. So that when you read, you know, you read with different parts of your mind. You look at things with different parts of your mind. You have a left and right side. And one side deals with technical, mathematical, dimensional things. And the other side deals more with the artistic, perception, metaphor, uh, concepts, abstract. And, you know, this varies from person to person. But most everybody uses those two sides of their mind and communicates between the two sides to see and perceive things. It's kind of like looking at the elephant. You look at it from this way, you look at it from that way. You look at it from two different ways and you get perspective. And that's the way the mind is created, so that you get perspective. Well, most of the people have fallen into one side of their mind more than the other. I mean, women tend to be more over on one side and men the other, but it's not always the same. It, it, it's different. Artistic men are, you know, which I am not. I'm not a very artistic person. I, you know, I have a perception of art, but I, I cannot put it into the mechanical application. You know, I'm still down in the stick figure range of artistic ability. Oh, I have done some things way in the past, but I don't cultivate that very much. I mean, the last couple of days I've been cultivating building fence. <laughs> so, and, uh, uh, that, that, and we put up numerous, uh, articles in the last week or so, um, information so that you can get more of a perspective on the world around you and your relationships to it. Uh, I spent probably 20 hours on the phone this last week counseling people, all sorts of people, ministers, uh, people who uh, are having problems, people are having problems with other people, people are having problems with the government, uh, or, or were afraid that they were about to. And most of the people I talked to, things worked out pretty well. Uh, nobody... Did they work out badly? Uh, 
Um, but they're still struggling because life goes on. And they're still dealing with issues. And they will continue that. And mostly what we're trying to do by uh, counseling these people is prepare them to deal with the difficulties of life. We cannot make those difficulties go away. But the way in which you relate to life is going to make a difference in your life. You can't change what other people do. You can't make the world conform to way, the way you want it to be. It's going to be the way it wants to be. And now you need to navigate around the rocks and the boulders and the stream and the and the and the uh, uh, river that you're trapped in. And hopefully, get to dry ground, get to the rock, get to Jesus Christ, and rise above the water and the turmoil and the tumult of the river so that you don't drown. And so anyway, we're going to look at, at, at a lot of myths and legends, and it's probably going to take several shows because... There are so many of <laughs> these myths and legends. Uh, I mean, it's just absolutely astounding. Uh, and, and we're going to try to cure your psychosis. Yeah, did you know you had a psychosis? Did you know that you have a strong delusion? I don't know what your particular one is, but uh, it's very same for most people, this strong delusion thing. And so you can look at the definition of psychosis as severe mental disorder in which thought and emotions are so impaired that contact is lost with external reality. What's the external reality? Well, it's the truth. You see, the truth will set you free, but you're disconnected from the truth. Now we know Jesus is the truth and the way of the life. And you're actually disconnected from Jesus. Now I know you think you believe in Jesus. You think you've accepted Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior and all this stuff. And you may have been touched by Christ because you did accept something and you felt that. And that feeling may have come from a real being touched by Christ. But Jesus said, strive. Jesus said, seek. This, this denotes the concept of process. That you continue to move in that direction. And of course, now everybody thinks, well, I am. You know, I am working out my salvation with fear and trembling. But the fact is, you all, all of you have a, psycho- a psychosis to one degree or another. Something in your thoughts or your emotion, in the ideas you have in your head and your feelings, have impaired you to complete that contact with the external reality, the truth of Jesus Christ. And, you know, if you believe that you've already completely accepted Christ and the truth of Christ... And that you have nothing else to learn, nothing else to see, nothing else to discover. You hamper yourself. Unless you're walking on water and raising the dead, you probably got something to learn about yourself. To see that something about yourself. To renew those contacts with that 
external reality and make that external reality of Christ a part of your life. So we're going to explore some of these things that are blocking, hampering these psychosis, these delusions that are impairing your ability to connect with Christ. Do you ever get angry? Do you ever get upset? Do you ever get impatient? Uh, Well, if you do, to that extent, Christ is not in you. Because, see, if you really love Him, you will keep His commandments, and these things will not overcome you. They will not control your emotions, your actions, your thoughts. You know, when somebody does something wrong to you, do you constantly go back and rehearse, why did they do that? You know, who are, uh, you know, why did they do this to me? Why are they doing things this way? You know, why are they so evil? If if people can make you angry, Christ is not in you. I mean, Christ, you could nail him to the cross and he'd still be forgiving you. Is that where you're at? If that's not, then you have progress to make. And you have some sort of psychosis, some sort of mental and emotional block that's keeping you from seeing the whole truth. And so, that's what, mostly when we do counseling, you know, when we want to talk to somebody who's having trouble, uh, usually with other people, they want to talk about the other people. They want to talk about what the other guy is doing wrong. They seldom, seldom want to talk about what they're doing wrong. Occasionally, they'll have some sort of pet thing that, you know, where they were caught doing something wrong and they had to confess and admit it. And they will constantly go back to that thing and say, oh yeah, well, I did that. I'm, I'm sorry I did that. And, you know, and on and on about that one thing. And they probably did that wrong. And they should be sorry about that. And they should admit it and confess it. But you don't need to do it over and over again. If you're constantly doing it over and over again, you haven't really done it yet. You need to move on to the next blocking thing. The next thing that's keeping you from seeing the truth. Like, why did you get involved with that person to begin with? And why did you get involved with that person in that way that was maybe immoral? Why didn't you consider the repercussions of this or that? I didn't even think about that. Why not? God did. And you're supposed to be in communion with God. Why didn't you see this? You see, if you are in communion with God, you will see what you need to see. He will show you in the moment. And you'll say, whoa, I don't want to go there. Because God showed me what was right and what was wrong. And I I can't go there. I, I mean, I just don't even want to. It's not even a temptation. But you fall to temptation because you have these psychoses, these blockages. These obstacles inside your mind and inside your heart. These emotional and mental uh, errors inside you. So how do you get rid of them? You have to see the truth about yourself. And what most people want to do is see the truth of, you know, they feel they feel the sting of bondage. They see, feel the difficulties in the world today economically. Uh, politically, uh, legally, that we're in bondage. And there are people c- trying to control us and take a bite out of us. It's, it's like the zombie apocalypse. They're coming after you. 
And you want to do something to prevent that. You know, getting bit by them zombies out there. Being devoured by them. Being crushed by them. And the temptation is to become like them. You see, they bite you, you bite somebody else. Somebody, you know, you, you pass it forward. You pass the, the viral zombie gene forward to the next person because they bit you, now you bite somebody else. And that's the zombie apocalypse. Be careful you do not bite one another lest you be devoured. In the Bible, see, the New Testament was warning you about the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? In my uh, grandkids' house, they have a, a timeline uh, up on the ceiling in the living room. It goes all the way around the whole living room. And whenever they study a point in history, they make a little tab and they pin it up there. I think it's Velcro or something. They put it up there on the timeline. And uh, and so they can look and say, oh, when, when did that happen in history? So it gives them this perspective all the way around. Well, their uncle, my oldest son, went in there and he wrote down on a little tab, zombie apocalypse, and he put it up there on the timeline when nobody was watching. <laughs> and it was there for weeks before somebody actually noticed it. He was extending out into the future. But actually, you could probably put that up back in 1933 or something. Because <laughs> that's when it began. Uh, and it's it's biting us. It's making us covetous of one another where we want to bite somebody else. And so anyway, we don't understand that process going on. And so by looking at some of these patriot myths that we have, uh, floating around out there, as well as spiritual myths and uh, religious myths, hopefully we will begin to awaken. And, but really the purpose of looking at those things is so that we can look at ourselves. Because by looking at the fault of others, the error of others, we don't get better. We only get better when we see how we are a part of that fault. And and when we finally get down to some of the, uh, I don't know what it'll be the end, but a little farther down, I will show you how that most of these movements are contributing to the problem. Most of these ideas that are supposedly going to set you free are actually contributing to the problem. And And you need to see how that works because... It's contributing to the problem in you. There is only one way. There's only one salvation. I'm going to say something trite here. Most people are not going to understand it. But it is Christ. Christ in you. That's the only thing that will set you free. But what does that mean? What does that look like? I hear people all the time that say they believe in Jesus. And they have Christ in their hearts. Yet I do not see the fruits worthy of repentance. They say they've repented, but they keep doing what Christ said not to do. What's going on here? They think they're not zombies, but they are. They think they're not workers of iniquity, but they are. They think they're saved, but they are not. Because they have not really accepted the real Jesus Christ. 
they've accepted a substitute. And you can't fool God. And so by seeing the evidence of what they've accepted, we know they haven't really accepted the truth. And the only reason we're going to be pointing this out is so that you know you still have need of repentance. You still have a psychosis, a mental block that is keeping Christ from fulfilling in you what He came to fulfill in all. That all might be saved. So you have to continue that journey to allow Him in you to change you, to save you, to alter you. And so anyway, that's why we're going to explore these things is to give you a better perspective of you. Not to, you know, find fault with all these other groups. So anyway, understanding that and looking at what is fact and what is fancy. Now I could say what is fallacy, but fancy. We fancy we see the truth because we're vain. We're not humble. We want to believe that we can figure it out. We can't. We can accept the truth of Christ and He will show us the way. To think that you can figure it out is eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is what got you to where you are at today. You need to eat of the tree of life and that takes a humble heart. So one of the... I've got several lists. I went to several websites. Some of these people I know. Some of the people I've had contact with, um, some I don't really know very much, but I see the same thing over and over again. So I just took some notes out of that and some of the things that they bring up as patriot myths, such as I have constitutional rights. Well, nobody has constitutional rights, but many people have constitutional privileges. Because if your rights come from the Constitution, they are not really rights, they are privileged. Now, you can call them rights, such as civil rights under a civil authority. But a civil right is really a privilege. Natural right is what the word right really refers to. But we use the word interchangeably. So I only make the distinction so that you understand a little bit more about the use of these words and what we're really trying to communicate. So if you you don't really... Your rights originally did not come from the Constitution. They pre-existed the Constitution. They are what they call inalienable rights. Uh, they come to you by the the law of nature and the God of nature. And uh, they were bestowed upon you as a living creature of God. But you actually weren't created by God. You were created by your parents. <laughs> Your parents were created by their parents and etc. So they can't create a freer person than they are. They can only create somebody with the same status as they have. So if they are in bondage, you are born in bondage. It's the way it was in Egypt. It's always the way it is. There are ways around that. And we'll talk about that when we return to the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We'll be back in a
So anyway, we're talking about some of these myths, such as I have constitutional rights. Uh, if you have constitutional rights, then you're subordinate to the Constitution. If you're subordinate to the Constitution, you're subordinate to men. Because men created the Constitution. Most people are completely unaware of the fact that most Americans, the vast majority of Americans, undoubtedly deposed the Constitution of the United States. They did not want it. And uh, if it had been put into a, put to a vote of the people, for the people, by the people, it would have been voted down. But it was not put to the people of America because it didn't have anything to do with the people of America for the most part. That's right. The Constitution had not... The people of America were not a party to the Constitution. So when it's you read, we the people, that's not you as an American, as a free American living in a republic. That has nothing to do with you. That we the people doesn't refer to you, didn't. Now, it may now, but it does because you made contracts, covenants, and sought the benefits of the Constitution and the corporations that the Constitution created. Now, you know, we'll probably get down to that eventually. Maybe we'll look at it right now since I just mentioned corporations. Uh, is the United States a corporation? And and the huge debate about that. I, I mean, uh, I've seen people that I respect for their courage and uh, uh, they uh, say, oh, the United States is not a corporation. And and they there's reference to 1871 where the United States incorporated. But the reality is the United States Constitution did create a corporation. All a corporation is is two or more people gathered together as if they were one person. They act as one person. And they're gathered together under a pre-existing authority. That's a corporation. And there's all kinds of corporations. Husband and wife are a corporation. But if I use the word corporation, that's commonly referring to a corporate entity created by the United States or individual states. And so we use that term, usually exclusive to those entities. But the reality is, anytime you get two or more people gathered together to act as one person, uh, even without a corporate charter, that's a corporation, by definition. And when you gather together, you usually have to gather together under some existing, pre-existing authority in order to be considered truly incorporate. But, you know, even an unincorporated association, that's just an association that is not created with a corporate charter and rules and regulations and, and ways of electing officers and all that kind of stuff. Even if you don't have that, it still will be treated as a corporation because it's two or more people gathered together for a particular purpose to act as one person under some sort of pre-existing authority. And in most cases in America today, unincorporated associations are under the authority of the United States government and, and therefore its court systems because the people that come together are already under those jurisdictional authorities. So lots of things are corporations without being state corporations or federal corporations or international corporations. They, they're corporations because there are two or more people gathered together for a particular purpose under a pre-existing authority to act as if it was one person. 
That's all that's required. And certainly, just reading the Constitution will tell you this is a corporation. It's creating a, a federal corporation under the pre-existing authority of those who ratified it, which would be the states. But, of course, it didn't come into being until you actually elected the officers of that corporation. And we call those officers senators, congressmen, presidents, cabinet members. They're all members of the corporation. And they have a whole list of rules of what they can do and what they can't do in that document we call the Constitution. So the Constitution was a corporation from the beginning under the authority of the states collectively who created an, a body outside of the states to function, to do certain tasks that they thought would be done better if it was done by one entity rather than requiring the consensus of all the states. And with some things they said, oh, you got to have two-thirds and three-fourths and, and, and consensus of the states in order to do these things, like to amend it. You would ha- you would have you couldn't just do it with 51 percent. You had to have more than 51 percent in order to amend this constitution. But of course, as we point out in the book Co- uh, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, uh, the Constitution itself was illegally ratified. It was an illegal document at the beginning, because at the beginning the states had already agreed that they could make no changes to the Articles of Confederation without unanimous consent. And certainly the Constitution was a radical change. But it wasn't really a change to the Articles of Confederation, but their relationship with each other. They were violating the terms of the Confederation by creating the Constitution. And But they did it. And they've acquiesced to it. Because they did it way more than 50 years ago. And it wouldn't even take 50 years to make it clear that they acquiesced to it. And so the Constitution exists. And it created a corporation. Now, yes, in 1871, they sort of reorganized that corporation. Uh, in 1910, they did so also. They they altered some things. In 1913, they altered some things. 1916, they altered certain things. Uh, 1933, they altered more and they've been altering things right along. But it's always been a corporation, not always the same corporation, because you alter it enough and it becomes something different. But what really has happened is you've altered your relationship to that corporation. Whereas before you were not a party to it, now you have become a party to it by contracting with its agencies and institutions and other corporations that it has created. And so that brings us to another myth where people say, I am a capital C citizen. Somehow that's supposed to make them free because they're a capital C citizen. When in actuality, there's very good logic that if you're a capital C citizen, that's a guarantee that you're not free, that you're a subject citizen, that you're a person. I mean, that's why you capitalize. It's It's an office. If it's an office, then it's a person because you're a member. So, you know, that, you know, and we could go into all, and the fact is, if you read the contracts, uh, uh, Covenants of the Gods, we have a whole chapter in there on citizens. And we're not trying to tell you to become this kind of citizen or that kind of citizen. Just kind of understand that all citizens are not the same, that uh, 
civil rights are not always the same. They they have multiple definitions for it. You know, one civil rights belong to every inhabitant because what they those civil rights are, they're natural rights. What those civil rights are are the rights that you have naturally, and they're not connected to the administration of government. And that's what it says. It defines it. Not connected to the administration of government. But then the same definition goes on to say, or as otherwise defined. So now we're looking at another kind of citizen, or civil rights. Uh, citizens that are connected to the administration of government. By virtue of the 14th Amendment. And, you know, that's really all we had to say about the 14th Amendment. Although we do talk about it in several places. And if you if you read our PDF deal you can do searches and and we have multiple articles and audios that try to explain this in greater detail and again the only reason we want you to understand how these systems of the world work is how those systems of the world draw you away from that thing that will give you true salvation which is Christ you see because all these people trying to be capital C citizen or state citizen or sovereign citizen, all of them are appealing to a character in you that is a part of your psychosis. And they are dragging you away from Christ instead of towards Him. And we're going to show you eventually in this series how easy that is to take place. But you have to kind of listen to the whole thing. And we'll put it all together eventually so that you can listen to it. And so you have to stay tuned. And and we'll be talking about this on other radio broadcasts. And we'll be, you know, I'm going to be a guest appearance on other radio shows. And we'll probably talk about some of these things. And so you have to kind of join the network to know where all those are. Because we're not going to tell you here. And some of those appearances may change. So... You want to be a part of the network to get to know when those changes take place so that we can go through this step by step. So anyway, we just covered the the myth that I'm a state citizen uh, for one, a little bit, but we just touched on it. But to go into a little bit more depth, what state would that be? Uh, because there are states as persons that are corporations of the United States. And then there were original states that were republics. One of the problems with a republic in international law is that the leaders are only titular. And we explain this in our articles and in the chapter on republics and democracy, which are also in that same book, that a republic, the leaders are titular. So if a leader is titular, that means he's in name only. He doesn't even have the power to make a treaty in a true and pure republic. Now, the United States president was titular in most things, in name only in most things, but he was given some powers by the states, not by the people, because the people didn't vote on it, the people weren't a party to it, so the people didn't give it any power at first. Now, individually, since then, you've given it a great deal of power because you've applied to its corporations and its agencies for benefits, and every one of those benefits carry stipulations of obligations. So now you have many, many obligations and therefore with those obligations comes the right of the government to enforce those obligations. And we'll show you how far-reaching this is a little bit at a time. And we already do in in, in the hundreds of articles and, 
and uh, audios that we have available for free. But you have to pursue this understanding. But understand this, that understanding how the system works only has value to you as an individual if it shows you how you have been separated from that which will set you free, which is this mysterious thing called Christ. And and see, like uh, Melano, who we, we talked a little bit on the on the network. Somebody asked some questions about him. He's a genius, but he's also a fool. And and I say that in the most loving way I possibly can. And I will be glad to discuss with him why I say that. And the fact is, there are many geniuses who do foolish things, who, who make grievous errors in their perception and judgment of things. And uh, so really, I mentioned to some of the people on one of our networks uh, that I should be doing videos that counter some of the, you know, misconceptions and foolish things that are promoted by some of these people who know a great deal and are right about many things, but then they suddenly take people down a road that is off track and it's a road to destruction. There are many, many wrong turns you can make. There's always more wrong turns you can make than there are the right turns that you can make. Um, but there's always turning back from the wrong turns, which leads you to the righteousness of the way. And uh, so anyway, that's why we're studying this, is so you can see this. Sovereign, what's a sovereign? I'm a sovereign. People say a sovereign is someone who can make laws. And they use this in a number of different ways, but people are throwing that word around. If you think you're a sovereign, then and who can you make laws for? Well, theoretically, you could only make laws for yourself. In other words, you could decide for yourself what is good and evil. And in a sense, man was originally made sovereign where he could decide what is good and evil because he could decide to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or eat of the tree of life. That was his only sovereign decision he could make. If he decided to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... All the other decisions he made were tainted by that original decision and was foolishness and error and led to more error and more error and more error. But if he chose to eat of the tree of life, then he would have life more abundant. So how do we do that? And I, I just sent off an email just before the program or earlier this morning uh, explaining it to somebody on the New York group exactly what that means. Now, I don't know if he'll get it or not. Uh, I don't know if anybody on the New York group will get it. I hope. And that's why I send it out. And we'll talk about exactly what that means later. Uh, then we have the guys who say, I'm a man on the land. And uh, that is... These little sound bites that people throw out. You know, like, what, what does that mean? We used to have somebody, you know, a landed citizen... In America, and this was at the time of the American Revolution, a landed citizen was someone who actually owned land. That may not be a plantation, maybe a small amount of acreage, a little tiny piece of uh, farm that he could grow food on for himself and his family. But he actually owned land. And see, in in uh, English law, and uh, which came to America, 
You were not a freeman unless you owned land. You actually owned it. Not a legal title, but you actually owned it. And how do you know if you own land? Well, can it be taxed? If it can be taxed, you don't own it. You you don't own the right to use it. You have to pay a use tax in order to get to use it. So if you're paying tax on any land, you know you don't own it. You have a legal title. And we explain this in the book, Covenants of the Gods, in the chapter on law versus legal. And, you know, how do we explain it? Do we go through all kinds of dusty old law books that you can't find anywhere? Uh, are we just telling you and we give you no reference? It's hundreds of footnotes. And we show you. It's, it's, it's simple. We break it down. You know, all the chapters of that book were like 70 to 120 to 180 pages long. And I reduced them all down to 12 pages. 12 small pages to, uh, to you know, maybe a 5,000 word essay. Each of the chapters. And so that forced me to put in the basic essentials. So you don't have to read on and on and on and on. I mean, it's just chock full of stuff that overthrows your imagination. Because what we do is we like show you the definition of legal title. I mean, you say, I got legal title of this property. It's mine. You just said two contradictory things. Uh, maybe. Depends on how you take it. You say, I got legal title, therefore I own it. What do you own? You own the legal title. That's what you own. You don't own the land. Because legal title, by definition, is only an apparent title. It appears to be a title. But it carries with it no beneficial interest. If you don't own the beneficial interest of the property, you don't own the right to use the property. That's the definition of these words. And you're saying, when you say, I have a legal title, you're saying, I don't actually own the property, I own the legal title. I have the right to use it if I pay the use tax. If I don't pay the use tax, they take the property away from me, and they sell the right to use it to somebody else. And so I don't really own anything but a legal title, which is a bound title, that is connected to what? The judicial system of the United States, which is connected to what? The international bankers of the world and to all of our creditors. You see, you know, it's really simple. But now, I I threw that out really quick and most of you couldn't follow it. It's like you stop and ask directions and they start going through this. And you say, wait a minute, i got to write this down. This is too confusing. Well, you don't even have to write it down. I already wrote it down. I put it in the book, and you get the book for free and download it on the Internet. <laughs> and it's all you really need. You don't need tons of more books. I mean, actually, some people have gone out and bought the books that are referenced in the footnotes so that they could, you know, check me out. And that's fine. You can go down. And I tried to use books that are reasonably available. Uh, I mean, I, I've been on this road for over half a century following this stuff. And information comes to me in the strangest of ways. First paying job I ever had was way back in the 60s. And uh, I just turned 18 years old. And I got a job. And I was working 16, 17 hours a day. And I finally got to a day off. After working there for more than a week, they finally decided to give me a day off. And I went walking out in a field. I just went walking. Uh, I was back east. 
and eventually I saw a field, and I prefer the field to the road. So I walked out in the field, walking through this field, and I come to a little tiny cement slab that is probably 12 by uh, 20 or something. And on it was a crate of books. And the crate was busted open. The books were laying out uh, on the cement slab, some of them. Some of them were still kind of halfway in the crate. And I, I sat down. I'd been walking for a while. And I opened up the book. And I'm reading. Just open up to a page anywhere. And I'm reading the page. And it's Bigelow's. Uh, you know, dissertations on, on the law. <laughs> I'm out in the middle of this field. And, uh, and it's talking about equity is not law but winks at the law. Now, why in the world am I reading this out in the middle of the field, you know, uh, about seven days after my 18th birthday, and I'm reading this, and what does it mean? I had no idea whatsoever. And, uh, but I remembered it. It was a Kodak moment. And later, it fell into place. When God said, okay, now's the time to write the book Covenants of the Gods. <laughs> now, I didn't, I didn't carry those books out of there. They weren't mine. I left them there. Somebody probably stole them and that's where they busted open the crate and found out it wasn't a value. What was in there was just books. But to me, it was a treasure. And I sat there and I read other things and it started putting things together in my mind, but I didn't even know what I was putting together yet. It's like the first few pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, except for I already had pieces of the puzzle. Got them when I was seven years old, when I was nine years old, when I was 13 years old. Pieces of the puzzle were coming to me. I couldn't fit them together yet. But finally, there, there came an anointing where I could start putting them together. And I already put them together and wrote them down, put them in a book and make it available to you for free. How many people are in our network who haven't read the book? And we have people in the network who haven't read the book and they're trying to tell everybody else how it all works. Well, they can go tell other people how it all works, but we already got it figured out. <laughs> if they want to work with us, I'm sure they can enlighten us. But if they want to steer us away, and that's what these patriot myths do. They steer you away from the answer. And the answer, again, is what? What's the answer? Christ. <laughs> what does the word Christ mean? Anointing. That's right. You have to be anointed by the Spirit that Jesus Christ left us, which is the Holy Spirit, or He sent to us. He sent us the Holy Spirit. You must be anointed by that Holy Spirit, which puts Christ in you. Why isn't it in you now? Because... You have a psychosis. <laughs> you have mental blocks. What are those? What empowers those mental blocks? What empowers those mental blocks in your head? Well, it's something I call trauma, and we'll talk more about that later. But let's go on to another thing: Admiralty Law. We're all vessels under Admiralty Law. That's another one of these patriot myths. Uh, and we are vessels, but we're supposed to be vessels of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the, I can guarantee you the Holy Spirit is not subject to admiralty law. <laughs> so, 
it's not the vessel that's the problem. It's what's in the vessel, which is a lot of goofy ideas, which is part of that psychosis, which we will now attempt to cure a little bit of it. So if you think admiralty law is the problem, uh, admiralty law is a, a body of private international law governing the relationships between private entities which operate vessels on the ocean. Law of the sea, which is a body of public international law, like I said. Uh, and, you know, it's it's private, really. It, it's... Uh, and it and it, it's a part of and, and we'll, there's actually several more levels to this, and it gets into international law and local maritime law. But anyway, we'll discuss that next time, which is coming up on Keys of the Kingdom, and we'll bring you into some of these other patriot myths. But then we're going to put it together so you can follow the real trail. We got to kind of clear the brush first. We'll be right back. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. back to the keys of the kingdom so we were talking about these myths um, that uh, are blocking you because they're untruths these are uh, and a myth a myth you know what was the Campbell talks about myths and follow your uh, heart or whatever it is that uh, you know follow 
this thing in you that's driving you and uh and in every myth there's usually a lot of truth and some myths are actually metaphoric stories that are trying to express a greater truth and so the myth itself is can be revealing if we understand the difference between what is the metaphor and what it's trying to tell us. You know, we unmoor the metaphor and we worship the metaphor and we lose track of the truth it's trying to tell us. So, always the reason we're exploring these things is to find the truth about ourselves because that's the only thing that we really have a right to change is ourselves. And what are we changing in ourselves? Is we're taking a look. Are we eating of the tree of life? Or are we eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Which one are we eating from? Which one is our source? And see, the amazing thing is that we're talking about things like myths and facts or fancies and, and these ideas. But we're talking about them up here in our head. Which is the tree of knowledge. You know, we're trying to decipher what the tree of life is by looking at the tree of knowledge. And can we do that? Is that even possible? Well, not by using our intellect. What we're try- what I'm trying to do, you know, I, I, I'm not going to unlock the cage in which you are bound. I'm just rattling the bars so you see where they're at. So you see where the door is at. Christ is the door that will set you free. And that door is first spiritual. So we were just talking about admiralty law, which I said was private law. And if you were listening closely, you will will see that I also talked about the law of the sea, which I said was public law. Both are international law. So you got the Admiralty law is private international law. And the law of the sea is public international law. Now, these two things will overlap. And when you look at one or look at the other, you may not know which one you're looking at because they are identical in many ways. They're going to use the same words, the same phrases. But one is the law of the sea and the other one is admiralty law, which is private and the law of the sea is public. But they, generally speaking, have the same outcome. There will be some variations. And I'll give you an extreme example, completely outside of admiralty law. Like if you, if you live in Saudi Arabia and you commit a crime that we all know is a crime, like stealing, they have a way of dealing with somebody who steals. They'll cut off his hand. We don't do that. We just put him in jail. It's it's way cheaper cutting off his hand, you would think, except for the fact now you've got a one-armed man, you've lost his hand. <laughs> now, you, now, you know, if, if that was a real socialist society, he's now going to be dependent upon the people to provide him with a living. And, uh, but anyway, that's the way they handle it. You know, if a woman is raped, they have a way of handling that. And they know it's not right to rape a woman, but the way they handle it, tells you something about the character of the people and the and the law is a reflection of the spirit 
I mean, what does Paul say about the law? You know, that, you know, we, we should go back and, and listen. Like Paul says, Romans 7.14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin, he says. You know, in, in Romans 8.2, he says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now he's we're seeing we're reading this in the English, which originally was written down in the Greek, and in the Greek they got one word nomos that they're using for law, and that's there yet there are many laws. So you know, there's private law, there's public law. But what is law? Contract makes the law, agreement makes the law. But how does contract make the spirit? Doesn't the spirit make the contract? So when Paul says the law is spiritual, he's talking about a particular law is spiritual. Now, what is the significance of all that? Private law, public law, spiritual law. The reality is, is all private law, all public law, exists within... An existing law of creation, which is spiritual. In the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. The Word was this vibration. You can't see, touch, feel vibration unless it's vibrating something. And brings that something. I mean, every atom is vibrating. And inside the atom, there's supposedly particles, and some of those are vibrating. And together, they harmonize, and they form an atom. Originally, what caused the vibration? What caused the movement? What caused the reality to come into existence? It's spirit. It's spiritual. So all laws exist within a spiritual reality. And that's a little bit big to grasp, but the reason I'm telling you that is because I'm not leading you to this law that will be your salvation, or that law, public law, that will be your salvation, or this private law that will be your salvation, but I'm leading you to the Spirit that created law. You have to conform to that Spirit of life. You have to eat of that spiritual life. That has to be your guiding light. The thing you follow. The thing that leads you. The thing you eat of. That tree of life. That Holy Spirit that guides you day by day, moment by moment. You have to do that on your own. The reason you don't do that is those things I call trauma. Your resentment. Your hate. Your anger. Your judgment. Your selfishness. Which is judgment. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. You're not under which law? See, again, he's got one word here, nomos. If you are led by the Spirit, you are under the spiritual law. You're just not under the physical law. You know, like the law of gravity. You can walk on water. Can you walk on water? Then you're still not under... (laughs) You're not led by the Spirit. 
you may be partially led and you may be on your way and you may be on the path of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And once you're on the path, God may run out and meet you halfway like the prodigal son and bless you and protect you. But you have to be on that way and the only way to get on that way is to repent and get on that way. And to actually do something called seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And there are many things that you do that tell me that you are not always seeking righteousness. You know, if you're a liar, if you're fornicating, if you're committing adultery, if you're stealing, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, even through the agency of government, that tells me that you have need of repentance. It tells you that. I don't need to know that you have need of repentance. You need to know it. Now, if I if I know it, then I know so that I can tell you. I mean, there's no reason for me to know it without telling you. Without telling somebody, maybe you're about to hurt somebody and I have to warn them about you. <laughs> and so then, then I may need to know. But it does mean no good to know that you're a sinner. It doesn't make me not a sinner. It doesn't make you not a sinner to know that the world and the flesh and the devil are having their way with the people of mankind. Unless it helps you overcome your own psychosis, your own spiritual trauma. So anyway, let's take a look at some more of these uh, strange myths that we have. And of course, I already touched on it. We the people as we see in the preamble of the Constitution, doesn't mean you and me. It didn't mean you and me. It meant the names of the people at the bottom of the document, then eventually meant included the states, and they actually argued that it should say, we the states. But the fact is, is one of the arguments uh, against saying we the state is the states were republics and not recognized in international law as corporate bodies. You see, in because if the leaders are titular, the leaders can't even represent the people of the republic. You would have to have everybody in the republic sign the treaty, which the Constitution was really almost in itself a treaty between the states. But it was it was a treaty in the sense that together, mutually, they created the United States. And And so, but they said... So we have to say, we the people. And we the people of what? The United States. Well, there was no United States, so who are the people? Well, at first it was the names at the bottom, and then it became the states who ratified it. And they, the ratifying, it was one thing, but what really made the difference was when they elected people to become senators and congressmen and presidents and vice presidents. Those people became we the people of the United States. And they were outside the states and they were foreign to the states. And even after the ratification of the Constitution of the United States, the states themselves were still foreign countries. As foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. And in the book Covenants of the Gods, we quote that from one of the most reliable sources of the outline of American law and jurisprudence. And it's in the book. And you can go down and get that book that I'm quoting. And I could tell you what it is. For some reason, I'm not telling you. Maybe I'm trying to create curiosity and motivate you to read the book Covenants of the Gods. Oh, God forbid. I want you to be motivated by the Holy Spirit. 
But the point is, we the people, that's, that wasn't us. Now, we the people, it might be us now because we are the people subject to the United States. And as people subject to the United States, we will be subject to all the contracts and covenants that we have signed and agreed to in the course of our lives. And even we may be subject to the contracts of our parents and what our parents have signed and agreed to. You know, how far can you lift somebody up in the air? You know, you can't lift them beyond the length of your arm. Okay, if you're in a pit, how far up can you lift your children? If you're in the pit beyond the length of your arm, you cannot lift your children up out of the pit. You can have a hundred children. They will all be born in the pit. They will not be born out of the pit. They will be born in the pit. If you were in bondage in Egypt and you gave birth to children, those children would be born in the pit of that bondage. They could not be born free. They're born in bondage. Because you're in bondage. The kingdom of God is from generation to generation. And the slavery of Egypt is from generation to generation. What will break the bonds of that slavery? Well, that's what we're getting to. But first you have to understand the bonds and the limitations that those bonds create. People are actually going around trying to say, well, I'm going to copyright my name and anybody who uses my name uh, will be violating that copyright. So supposedly I won't get any summons to go to jail <laughs> or court because they used my name and my name was copyrighted. Well, such circular logic makes me dizzy. How, how does it make you? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Fancy, not fact, fancy. Not, copyright laws are private laws. <laughs> you can't, you cannot lift yourself up by your bootstraps. You will only hurt your fingers and tear your bootstraps. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Uh, hyphens and colons. It's uh, the people who put a colon before their last name. And they say, well, I am this person, but then that's my family name. And I understand the logic of that. And there's a certain truth in the logic of that. But we always refer to those people as full colon people. <laughs> their colon is full. And it's a play on words. So anyway, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's fancy. It's not fact. I don't even call it fallacy. It's just they, they want to believe these things. And people are grasping at straws, which should bring us to straw men. <laughs> uh, the, the straw man concept is, it, it has a certain truth to it. All these myths have to have a certain truth to them. That's just the way it is. They, they have a certain amount of truth to give them some sort of veracity or validity in the minds of other people. But they, uh, they're steering you down the road to destruction because they're not steering you to Christ. I'm going to show you how subtle this can be eventually. I probably won't do it till the third hour. But anyway, another, another big thing. So straw man, the bad thing about a straw man is when they put the straw man in jail, you'll be sitting next to him. <laughs> It, it doesn't 
work quite like that. Your only salvation is to eat of the tree of life. And you only get access to the tree of life through the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm talking in metaphors here. Yeah, I understand that. You you may not understand what I'm saying, but we're going to get to that. But you have to walk the walk to really get it. Because I can't give you spiritual understanding. I can only talk about spiritual understanding with intellectual terms. Only God can give you spiritual understanding. Only the Holy Spirit can enlighten you from within. In order to enlighten you enlighten you from within, a light must shine within you. When that light shines within you, you see yourself. So when I point out all this foolishness, man on the land, sovereign, ambassador to the kingdom of God, all this foolishness, which is vanity, 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 I'm doing it so that you can see how easily it is that you're sucked into these things. So that you can overcome them. Government is a fiction. Fictions of law. Did you know that adoption is a fiction of law? Adoption says you're his son. But you're not really his son. All the evidence points out that he doesn't have the same DNA as you. So he's not your son. But the court says... He's your son. So adoption is a fiction of law. So what's wrong with a fiction of law? It still carries the weight of law. Now, I will admit that some courts create fictions of law out of thin air. And there is no evidence for what they are claiming. And it's it's their fancy. But the reality is the concept of a fiction of law doesn't make what is taking place of non-consequence. It may take serious consequence. And, and in some ways, fictions of law can save you if they're guided by the Holy Spirit. I mean, like, what what was Moses' family really doing by hiding him in the bulrushes? Was somebody going to... Was the midwives actually stabbing babies and killing them? Killing them in the wombs and all this kind of stuff? What was really going on in Egypt? You know, and it, it takes, you know, you, you might have to read hieroglyphics or you might have to see things in the spirit. Uh, I don't know which one is easier because uh, I don't know where you're at. But these were systems of government that wanted to control the people. Was the death of these children actually the registration of these children? So that they died to their parents but became children of the state and by avoiding that registration by hiding Moses in the boat rushes were they protecting them from that civil death that natural civil death and, and newborn all caps civil life offered by Egypt I know most of you are probably not following that but the reality was Moses was adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh he became heir to the throne of Egypt. The rightful heir by Egyptian law to the throne of Egypt. God arranged that in the spiritual realms. He altered the physical realms by altering the spiritual reality. You know what witches do? 
You know what sorcerers do? They try to alter the spiritual reality by changing the physical world. With chants. With mantras. With uh, symbols and signs and hexagons and circles and fire and formulas. They try to alter the reality of the universe by changing the physical reality we see. But the physical reality we see is a product of spirit. Law is a product of spirit. You must change spiritually. What spirit should you have? The spirit of Christ. What was the spirit of Christ? Spirit of service. Spirit of sacrifice. In order to have life more abundant, you must lay down your life. Ah, he's telling you the secret to freedom. Secret to freedom is not getting your freedom. It is not filing papers to get your freedom. Becoming the belligerent claimant in person to get your freedom. The way to get your freedom is to give up your freedom and serve God by often serving others. That is that simple. You have to approach this with a spiritual resolve. In order to do that, you must see your spirit. See how selfish you really are. See how arrogant you really are. How unhumble you really are. And in the light of seeing that, the evil will go away and Christ can fill your heart with forgiveness. And your salvation will not be a fiction, but a reality. Because right now, most people who say, I've accepted Jesus into my heart as my personal Savior, that's a fiction. Unless we see the fruits worthy of repentance, that's a fiction. Other other things that they bring up, small U, United States, and capital U, United States, and United States Constitution of, and United States Constitution for... And, they, I mean, it's all the Vincini dizzying intellect. UCC remedies, private law. Uh, more bootstrap stuff. It's not going to pull you up. Trust, pure trust, common law trust. Trust within a trust cannot stand. You're already born in bondage. You're not going to get yourself out of bondage by these claims. You must change spiritually. That's an individual journey into your own heart and soul to see yourself as you really are, to end the psychosis, to remove the blocks that are keeping you, keeping Christ from within you. A couple more in this this one is diplomatic status. People claim diplomatic status, ambassador to the kingdom of God or... Or maybe they create some other country and they're a diplomat of that country, or they claim to be a diplomat of the of the republic, and which are you know virtually vacant. Uh, the original republics are gone because all the state senators, all the state congressmen, are federal employees, and, and that's a conflict of interest. Unless, of course, they're in the corporate state of Oregon, New York, whatever. 
And the, the same processes you'll find in Australia and Canada and the provinces and everything. It, it's, there's slight variations because many of these countries were already part of the Commonwealth. Um, you know, and then there was a last thing in the list is apostille, um, where people get apostilles on their documents and it gives them a, appears to be some sort of validity. But the reality is, unless you're a signer or you have an official who you are subordinate to is a signer of the Hague Conventions, those apostilles are just pretty decorations. And but and again, it's not unlike witchcraft, where you're trying to create things out in the world that will guarantee your uh, spiritual freedom. Now, repentance is what draws you near. And the fruits of repentance, instead of being selfish, what are the two things that brought you into bondage? And the Bible tells you what's going to bring you into bondage. It's going to make you merchandise. Going to curse your children. Going to make you surety for debt. What are the two things that does that? Uh, Is that the Illuminati and the New World Order? Is that the Masons and, you know, uh, (laughs) I don't, I can't even think of all that, you know, the forefathers or whatever? What brings you into bondage? Covetousness and sloth which is selfishness and and slothful avarice. Uh, that's simple. That's what brings you into bondage. What will bring you out of bondage? The reverse of covetousness. Charity. What's the reverse of sloth? Diligence. Be diligent to show thyself approved. If you're not diligent, you're not going to be saved. If Now, you will be saved by Christ, not by your diligence. But if you're not diligent, then I would say there's no fruit of repentance. So, you haven't really repented. Because you're still slothful. If you're still covetous, if you're not charitable, if you're not giving of your life on a daily basis, then I would say you don't have the fruit of repentance. It's it's that simple. And the only reason I'm pointing it out is not to belittle you, but to awaken you that you have need of repentance. That you have need to be seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. For who? For you? Or for others? Because Christ came to serve, so it has to be for others. You're not trying to set yourself free That won't get you free. You have to be trying to set others free. That's why you gather together, to set others free. If you're just gathering together to set yourself free, that's selfishness again. It's not the character of Christ. How can Christ live in somebody like that? You tell me. Anyway, we'll be right back. Keys of the kingdom. So we went through a lot of these, and I'm sure there's a lot more 
Uh, and again, the reason we're going through these is so that you will not be, you know, anybody espousing any of these ideas are probably going to be taking you away from that which will save you, which is the anointing of Christ, the Christ anointing in you by the Holy Spirit, which is, in essence, speaking in metaphors, is eating of the tree of life rather than eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I am not wanting to appeal to your intellect other than the fact that you have enough sense to realize that you can only change you and your relationship to everybody else. And you can only change you and your relationship to everybody else if you have help. And there are lots of people who want to help you change your relationship from this bondage to that bondage. It is only Christ that wants to set you free. In order to set you free, you must see the truth. Now, there one somebody wrote just a little bit before the show began and mentioned team law. And uh, they have a page up uh, on mythology. And uh, it's, it's actually pretty good. And I, I've known people at team law years and years ago. And they have a lot of good things that they say, but they miss something. And in more than one place. But I'm just going to use an example. And I'm not picking on them individually. Again, I want everybody to find the way. And the path has more wrong turns than right turns. Uh, correct turns. And so, you, the the way is narrow. And if you step out of the way, you endanger yourself and anybody else you encourage to step out of the way. So, what does that way look like? So that you can find your way back to the liberty under God that will make this nation whole. Because I'm not interested in tearing down the nation or tearing down the government. The government is actually there serving God. It's going to be taking and taking and taking and taking so that you will cry out. Now, God won't hear you when you cry out alone, but eventually God will hear you if you cry out in righteousness. And and right now, crying out for you in righteousness is crying out for mercy. And if you want mercy, you must want mercy for others. So again, we're back to the way you save yourself is to save others. That's the way you do it. You don't save yourself by saving yourself. That's selfishness. That's what got you into trouble to begin with. Is selfishness. And manifest as covetousness, desiring the benefits of government at the expense of your neighbor. I, I finally heard somebody the other day actually mention that. Everybody always says, you know, taxation is theft and, you know, it's a violation of the Ten Commandments. Well, it's a violation of the Ten Commandments, but it's not the stealing. It's the coveting. And why do so many people, you know, refer to taxation is theft. It's not theft. Almost everybody who's taxed has agreed to tax their neighbor. They just don't want to be taxed themselves, which is selfishness. The reason they don't bring up what the real commandment that is violated by taking from your neighbor and redistributing wealth is by your... um, Uh, by your your covetousness 
your covetousness is what is bringing you into bondage. That's what this coveting your neighbor's goods is in violation of. So, it isn't paying the tax that's the sin. As a matter of fact, not paying the tax is probably a sin in most cases. Because you're not being, you know, friends with the unrighteous man in which you joined. The sin is in desiring the benefits at the expense of your neighbor. That's what's keeping you in bondage. So, in order to get out of bondage, you must want to provide the benefits for your neighbor through charity. You see, that's the only way out of bondage. And so, when you you get a government that takes and takes and takes and takes, like Samuel 8 tells you, you will get, which you have gotten because you have rejected God and you wanted a president or prime minister or, you know, king or queen uh, to rule over your neighbor to make things right. That's what you wanted. And you got that. And so now, what? how do you reverse that process? Is that now you have to want to be the benefactors of your neighbors through faith, hope, and charity. If you just want to be free, you're not going to be free. You have to want freedom for your neighbor as much as you want it for yourself. As much. Some of you, because of recompense, you probably need it more than you want. I mean, Christ was willing to die. He didn't do anything wrong. You're not even willing to contribute to the welfare of your neighbor. So, why would God contribute to you? You know, Jesus says things over and over again, like, if you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. If you don't freely give, why would I give to you? You know, somebody just talked this morning about the uh, miracles of Moses that allowed the people to go free, and they referred to the miracles of Moses as, you know, the uh, plagues. And it's common... You know, references in the Bible that all those plagues were common natural occurrences and not miracles. It was amazing that he knew when they were coming. And there may have been some sort of miraculous coming together, you know, (laughs) to make those all happen at that time. But most of those plagues, almost all of them, except for maybe the last one, and even that can maybe be naturally explained, were natural events. You know what the miracle of Moses was? that the people actually started to care about one another, fill each other's water vases, and take care of one another during these plagues after 400 years of a socialist state. That's a miracle. That people would actually, when there's a shortage of resources, they still began to share with one another. You're on Social Security, you're on limited income, you get, you, you can barely make ends meet. That's when you need to give. Unless you give under those conditions, you will not be given to. It's easy to give if you're a rich man. You give half of everything you own. That's, that's, that's fine. But to give in your, when you're short, when you don't have much to give, When things are precarious, 
That's where the grace of God comes in. That's where the spiritual benefaction of God will take place. And that's where you will be set free. And guess what? You're going to have a great opportunity for that <laughs> in the future. Anyway, back to team law. Uh, they have a myth alleging Social Security number is your account number. Uh, and, you know, they use this word myth, the word myth, but the fact is, remember again, there's truth in every myth. And, and myths are usually written down and memorized and passed down to express a truth in a mythological way. That the myth myth is not entirely true, but it's trying to refer to a truth. So, okay, understanding that. And and I'll read what they wrote here. Everything you thought you owned actually belongs to corporate USA. Or U.S. And now this is what they're saying. And to some degree that's true. But then what does the U.S. own? The U.S. is in debt. You know, I know uh, somebody said the other day that if you had no debt and ten dollars, you'd be richer than most of the people of the of the United States. If you had no debt and ten dollars, you'd be richer than most of the people in the United States. Because <laughs> most of the people are in debt up to there. They're people who live really well, but they all their assets come to a negative number because you have to consider their liabilities. So. If everything you own is owned by corporate U.S. and corporate U.S. is in debt up to beyond your ears, then you own nothing and the U.S. owns nothing. (laughs) So now the question is, who does own it? And if they own it, can they come and take it? You see, the United States will be invaded by foreigners. and, And ruthless foreigners at that. And it will wreak destruction and... And God can't interfere because they have a right to come here. Because they own you. They own the land you're on. You're their servants. Now, the people who actually come and do the killing and murdering, they don't own it either. They're just subjects to others like Mordor. (laughs) That their minions will march against you. And you can certainly try to fight them off. It will be a terrible bloodbath. But the reality is, if you don't have God on your side, you've got nothing. And you don't have God on your side unless you repent. And you haven't repented unless you have a daily ministration that cares for the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You are not free because you failed to pay your taxes. As a matter of fact, you are probably just a worker of iniquity. A whining, complaining, selfish, slothful individual. You have need of repentance. So anyway, it says, everything you you thought you owned actually belongs to corporate U.S. And though you can live in a constitutional republic, now this is their words, you have voluntarily chosen to live under the communistic control of corporate U.S. Now, that's their words. I wouldn't necessarily use those words. Uh, I, I don't want to live in a constitutional republic. I want to live as a free soul under God. 
And I know the only way to do that is become a servant of God. And to become a servant of God, I must comply with Christ. Because He is the only door that God has left us. And if you comply with Christ, you will comply with Moses and Abraham as well. But Moses and Abraham agreed with Christ. Because God is the same today as He was yesterday. Team Law goes on to say, At Team Law, we can help you learn how to learn the law to dramatically use this situation to your advantage and to respectfully help restore our original jurisdiction government by learning to apply the law and use it to your advantage. Even in our time, we can overcome tyranny we allowed to take place by living in ignorance. So they're saying that it's ignorance that has brought this about. And they're telling you how to use the law to your advantage. We can help you learn how to learn to apply, learn how to learn to apply the law while maintaining the peace. Keeping food on the table, fuel in our homes and cars and rebuild our nation and its economy. Under this, evidently, uh, constitutional republic, which most of the people of early America didn't want to have. They wanted to just be in a republic. I mean, that, there's a certain nature to a constitutional republic, and we have to go and define each individual constitutional republic and find out what the heck that's all about. I mean, even Israel was a republic, and they had certain things in their constitution. And uh, when they decided to have a king, that's when they really needed a a constitution. And uh, that constitution was to have four things in it. Uh, Four specific terms that were to be written down and read to their leader every day by their judges, their, their appeals court judges. Only one of them is in the Constitution of the United States. So, why would I want to restore that Constitution? That's not my goal. And what I was reading to there is that they're constantly trying to show you how to do it to your advantage. To your advantage. Now, I'm not not faulting these guys because these guys actually are a little bit closer. They're actually trying to create a network too. But I'm telling you, they're falling short. And you know, and that's a general statement because I don't know every individual there, and I'm not. Institutions are not your salvation. Christ is. Christ in you is. But their their battle cry should be to the advantage of others. To be sacrificing for others, because this is what Christ came to tell us: to serve others. He, they go on to say, please remember Team Law is here to help you learn how to learn. Again, it's, that's all tree of knowledge stuff. I Mostly what I'm helping people do is unlearn. <laughs> uh, learn to unlearn all these psychoses and these things that you've accepted, that you accepted to your advantage and get you to start thinking like Christ who came to serve. 
other people's advantage. He died for others. He did not die for himself. He died for others. This is a different approach than what you see in Team Loud. They're they're not far off. I wouldn't even mention their name. I mean, I didn't mention the other places I was taking stuff from. But the thing is, is if you're jumping across a chasm, almost isn't a good thing. (laughs) You've got to make it all the way. You've got to accept the whole armor of God. You've got to do it all the way. You can't do it halfway. If the prodigal son, halfway home, decided, well, I'm going back. His father would not have come out and met him halfway because he went back. You can't go back. This is why Christ says, put your hand to the plow. You don't take it off again. Count the cost. You have to lay down your life for others. You have to sacrifice daily for others. You're out of that habit. Get in that habit of sacrificing daily for others. In real ways. You want real salvation. You gotta be a real savior to your neighbor. To your, to, and you can't just help those right next to you. You have to help those who can't help you back. You have to cast your bread upon the waters with nothing but hope that it might come back. It's not good enough just to help your local congregation, your local buddies. I tell you, you're cutting your throat. You're severing yourself from the ways of Christ when you do that. They go on to say, you can apply to the law to preserve your freedom and our nation. First step is to imagine a powerful, positive future. Positive thinking stuff. Now, I'm not against imagining a powerful future, but not a powerful future for you. I mean, like people thinking, well, someday we are to rule the universe. I'm not coming to rule the universe. I'm coming to serve God. And yes, yes, we may have a position in that service to God. I mean, Christ ruled the universe. And what did he do? He got down and he washed the feet of his apostles. That's how he rules. He came in righteousness. Not in authority to rule over other people, but to give other people an opportunity of choice. You can choose the way of adultery. You can choose the way of covetousness. You can choose the way of robbery. Or you can choose the way of righteousness. Your choice. And all I'm doing is facilitating that choice at every opportunity. That's how I rule. I rule. You have a right to choose. But I also warn you that if you choose unrightly, you will put in motion your own destruction. You, Out of your mouth, you will be condemned. Out of your actions, you will be condemned. And those actions can only change if you humble yourself before God and seek to give life, not take it. Set others free before you set yourself free. Provide for others in hope that you may be provided for, but not by a contract where you are guaranteed. All those things that the world offers you lead you spiritually away from the righteousness of Christ. All of what I offer in explanation 
is to lead you back to the freedom of Christ, which is the service to God. You give back what God has given you. God gave you life. You give it back to God. God doesn't need your life. He says, give it to others. Pass it forward. You're either biting one another, taking from one another, neglecting one another by not creating a daily ministration, by not coming together in congregations to care about one another and linking those congregations through a network of ministers who come to serve And there are many people who will come as ministers and they really don't come to serve anybody but themselves. But you have to figure that out. And righteously, you will know that if you come together with the Spirit of Christ, which is to serve others. This is how you become free. You do not become free by making all these mythological claims to you have a right. You have a right to death. You're a sinner. You're an unrepentant sinner. You pray for mercy. And the way you get mercy is show mercy to others. That's as simple as that. You know, and if I'm wrong, what's what's the bad? The bad is is that you've you've actually cared about others. People like to think that I don't care because I tell people the truth. You think it's easy to tell people the truth? They hate you for it. <laughs> they, they will hate you if you tell them the truth. If you tell them adultery is adultery, if you tell them that stealing is stealing, if you tell them that covetousness is covetousness and are, and are turning your back on God, they don't like that. If you tell them that socialism is covetousness, social uh, public school is covetousness, it's socialism. Social security is socialism. And again, I'm not faulting old people who are dependent upon it. But if you're dependent upon it, you need to take what life it gives you and give back. To create that daily ministration of caring for others. Your lifestyle will have to change. Your lifestyle must become a lifestyle of sacrifice. Not out of anger towards the system or resentment towards the system. Or, you know, resentment to others who have not taken care of you. I mean, are you angry? Are you at peace? Are you impatient? Or are you humbly submissive to the state in which you find yourself, but turn and walk after the ways of Christ, even carrying the burdens of that turning as you go? This is what sets you free. Nothing else will set you free. They ask in their their quote here uh, at Team Law, if you could make one righteous wish that would change any aspect of your life for the better, what would that change be? Well, that change that that. That wish must be for others, not for yourself. I mean, it could be things like, I want to know how to best serve my neighbor. I want to know how best to serve God. And of course, that's to love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, to to take care of one another. 
to sacrifice. Sacrifice is a word in the Old Testament comes from the Hebrew word to draw near. This is what you need to do. You don't have to give to me, but you have to start giving of your life, your time, your energy, your money, your, your food, your whatever. And you have to give it in a way that strengthens the poor, not weakens them, not makes them dependent, not makes them selfish. This is the way you must go to find the righteousness of God. And there's a lot of other things that we could talk about. Uh, but we will have to wait till next time on Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.